Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Tuesday night edition of the pod got a big celebrity guest coming up. Rich Cho, Charlotte Hornets GM and food blogger extraordinaire. But first, I want to talk about what was a really fascinating game between the Thunder and the Jazz and also get to a little news. See how long that takes us. Might even do a, a question or two, random question between me and Danny. But let's get started with this game. 194, the Thunder took it, overcoming a 17-point deficit to beat the Jazz. Thunder really looked dead in the water late in the third quarter. How were they able to come back, Danny? To me, it was about defense. I I thought that they did a a much better job in that second half, making the Jazz take harder shots and then reaping those rewards sometimes in transition. And I'm I'm sure a lot of people point to Russell Westbrook, and I'm completely fine with that. He did have some some big moments, certainly. He had a great final line in the game, 34, 13, and 14, which is just ridiculous. That's Russell Westbrook. But for me, especially at the beginning of the fourth quarter, this was about defense. Yeah, at a time when Westbrook was not in, and despite his best efforts, they started that fourth quarter down 12 and actually made up six points of that deficit without him before he came back. And then it was actually, I agree with you, it was a defense. It's a really odd game because at halftime, the Jazz led it 47-39, and it was a crazy fast game 52 possessions for utah 53 for okc okc managed only a 74 offensive rating and continuing their offensive struggles and i agree with you their defense holding the jazz the 12 points in the fourth was huge but the first half was so weird because of the turnovers utah had 13 steals in the first half they stole the ball from the thunder on 24.5 percent of the possessions and then the thunder had seven steals right back from the jazz as well so and no Nobody was getting on the offensive glass. So all that leads to very short possessions when you're getting it stolen before you can shoot and you're not extending possessions with offensive rebounds, but nobody had any efficiency at all. And the Thunder just could not hit a jump shot. They were four of 21 on jump shots in the first half, despite getting a few inside. And then when the Jazz really broke out to that 16 point lead in the third, they were humming from three point range. OKC's offense still looked terrible. And then it took Westbrook really starting to go in the hero mode to bring them back late in the third and Westbrook's shots in the third were fundamentally different because what it looked like to me was that they were letting him get a little bit more loose to the middle of the floor and so he was taking those kind of out free throw line pull-up shots and yeah I mean there is the the demerits that are on mid-range shots but if you're getting open ones from mid-range especially somebody who, who can make those who can make them uncontested then it's it's a fine shot I, I love it when guys can create layups or create fouls or things like that but but he was getting into rhythm on those and then that helped open up some of the other stuff and then another big difference in the second half was Stephen Adams' offensive rebounding Adams had five offensive rebounds in the second half 
And that's against a, a Utah front line that had at least Gobert or Favors out there. And it wasn't actually that much of both of them, at least the beginning, because in that third quarter, it didn't seem like Quinn Snyder could go away from it fast enough. Yeah, and that was the case as well in that game against Washington. Starting those guys, it's completely nominal at this point. He took Favors out less than three minutes into the second half. They, those guys started together and played a mere five minutes together. It's the most comical front court starting, quote unquote, pairing since Bogut and Dirk played together in the front court last year and finally Bogut who is uh probably a little I don't want to say less prideful but a a little bit more self-aware about these kind of things maybe that than a lot of people was like hey it's ridiculous to start me and then take me out of the game a minute later so why don't you just uh start Dirk and I'll come off the bench but you know Derek Favors doesn't feel this way and he was playing extremely well obviously before then they did close the game with Rudy Gobert instead but I, I agree with you you know Adams 20 points 9 of 10 from the field had the six offensive rebounds in the game was really a huge difference maker because especially late he really when it was close that's how the thunder were able to score in the last couple of minutes and he really dominated Rudy Gobert, who's just returning from that knee contusion. He also had 10 screen assists in this game, which is one of the higher totals I can remember in a single game. And some of that is just you set a screen for Russ and he's going to shoot it, but but it can work out. And I thought the other big takeaway in this game was that Donovan Mitchell was given a really, really tough assignment in this game. He was largely guarding, a lot of times he was guarding Paul George, and even more of the time he was being guarded by Andre Robertson. That is an unenviable double if there ever was one and he had just a really nice game overall it wasn't the setting necessarily setting the world on fire like when he scored 41 no no, this is setting the world on fire you you put up 31 points on 22 shots where i was going was where i was going was like the box score stats weren't there but in some ways this was more impressive to me that's where i was going but i agree with you like that's how i took it yeah he also had four assists and five steals he threw four or five great passes that actually was probably the most impressive thing you know as someone who i have not seen as many games of the jazz during this recent run and so locking in on him he really had some beautiful passes a few of which were flubbed he had a couple to favors on just straight penetration where he's able to find him and favors got stripped he threw this one pass and it actually was a little low it was late in the clock he was driving in from the left side and somehow he like turned his right hand it looked like backhand and threw the pass completely across the court to joe Ingles in the corner and i've never seen anyone really throw a pass like that before but it was a little bit low uh so Ingles wasn't able to convert it and they ended up I think getting a shot clock violation on that possession but I'd never seen that sort of imagination in a pass before from him and so that was all very impressive and then just the ability to get up those 12 three-point shots Matt Harpering was all over this on the broadcast and it's something that we've been discussing since we first saw him in summer league that his ability to rise on balance you know really maybe the only other guy in the league like that to me right now is clay thompson who can really be going full speed and nearly always manages to square up with his footwork and mitchell has even more rise on his jump shot than thompson does and the other guy i was saying this on twitter the other day who mitchell kind of reminds me of at 6 3 uh at least offensively because he's a much better defensive player than this guy is gilbert arenas um and not like a conventional point guard type player but a guy who's pretty good off the dribble he gets to the rim 
rim, can jump, can finish. And then Gilbert had like pretty similar shot form to Mitchell as well. Just a very, very compact stroke, quick release, squared up, on balance all the time when he shot it. And, you know, not maybe incredibly efficient, although Mitchell certainly has improved his efficiency lately, but a guy who's been able to create shots basically whenever he wanted to. I mean, and I thought it was just against this caliber of defense. He did have a few foibles late and he ended up having five turnovers, but for a rookie being asked to be the primary creator on this jazz team incredibly impressive performance from him tonight and he's been incredible really over these last few games and at 21 he is older than some rookies but it's not like he's this appallingly old rookie at all and his physical talent i think that he's going to be able to get so much better i don't know what his ideal role is offensively and if you think of his defensive ceiling you can't really reach that if you're as active offensively as he might end up being you can only look at the guy who was across the court from him in this game russell westbrook who was a dominant defender until he became a huge offensive player and stopped caring as much about defense and so i think that mitchell just has this sky high potential and i i remember he so he was just below the threshold of guys that we really focused on because we just yeah. we've All spent I so much time watching the nba video really i, I and i was right and, and and i'll explain why i was skeptical about him because like he wasn't able to be efficient really at louisville you know i mean he was hitting like mm-hmm. you know low 30s on three pointers his shot selection wasn't great one of the things that mike schmidt's highlighted was that he can't jump really off of one foot he's more of a two-foot jumper and i've been really impressed by you know because he's got those long arms he still can't jump off of one foot but he's able to get great extension now with one foot he's really worked on those plays and so he has become a, a much better finisher since even the start of the season as he's adapted to nba defense so that's been impressive as well i, I just really like and i didn't think his shooting was going to hold up because he just didn't really shoot it that well in college but you know even though his shot looked good this is one of those ones where it's like okay you know i know it looks great but hey guess what like the stats aren't there uh but you know he and he started off shooting poorly from three but i think he's now uh up over 37 percent from downtown for the season I just looked it up and my first tweet about Donovan Mitchell at Summer League, which was the first time we saw him in person, but the first time I ever really saw him for an extended period was just Donovan Mitchell can play capital P-L-A-Y. And I was just, it was really impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's just phenomenal. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes for him the rest of the season. But, you know, we kept saying, all right, you know, chill out. He's going to regress and he continues to play better, you know, and we'll see if, you know, when he gets on scouting reports and like, it'd be rare for a rookie to continue playing this well. But, you know, as you mentioned, he is a little older. So is Ben Simmons, actually. Some those guys are about the same age, as I recall. So uh, that's been great. Let's talk a little bit about how the, the Thunder made their comeback, though. I mean, Anthony and Paul George combined for nine points in the first half. And then as the Thunder went out and scored 61 points in the second half, at a very slow pace, by the way, as well. In the second half, it was much slower. They were down, I think, around 45 possessions. So they absolutely dominated offensively, in part due to that offensive of rebounding from Adams, Westbrook going off, uh, turning the Jazz over, getting out in transition. I thought the Jazz didn't do nearly good enough of a job of not guarding Robertson, who is plus 14 in 34 minutes and only forced to take two field goal attempts, uh, none of them jump shots. Um, Thunder got absolutely nothing out of their bench once again, uh, although I guess maybe that's not fair to say because they were in there when they made a little bit of a comeback at the start of the fourth, but statistically, the bench wasn't very good. But I thought really what changed it and Matt Harping the jazz announcer was all over this was that they just started playing harder and I think the jazz uh, on a back-to-back tough flight from Utah lose an hour 
car going east to, to OKC that they ran out of gas a little bit late although again I thought it was a lot of it was their offense and then also just Gobert is not there yet like he he this is just his second game back he played interesting that he played a, a back-to-back in his first two games back and so I thought he really especially on the defensive glass and then also his activity around the rim whenever he comes back from these injuries you know he's not quite the same part this is the third time we've seen him come back from you know a moderate knee injury like this and especially to see him get dominated on the glass by Adams was atypical for Rudy. especially in the first half of a season you're learning something about teams all the time and something that I walked away from this game which paralleled the Detroit Philly game from Saturday I believe was that I walked away from this game feeling better about both of these teams OKC is like okay you know they're we knew their defense was for real but they you know they had better their offense and in clutch was way better than it was before much more egalitarian and some of that was that they you know they created one-on-one like that beautiful spin move that Melo had on Joe Ingles and then ended up getting I think he scored yeah he scored that one and there was another one that was was a nice tip play but they they were able to do that and then Utah I mean you could see in this game remember they're still without Joe Johnson they're also without Rodney Hood granted Mitchell's playing well Alec Burks has had some really nice run as well not necessarily in this game but just overall I think over 20 points the last three games before this although he, he shot poorly in this one did get to the foul line well right so so like did you feel the same way i did where it's like i think i got a I, I feel like both of these teams are better in my eyes after this game yeah i think so although you know utah i, I remain skeptical i mean especially with the way they've shot the ball from downtown uh the fact that they're able to get up a lot of three-point attempts on this good okc defense is good they can feel good about that and they have solid shooters from downtown and as they always are you know they're missing a couple of key guys joe johnson i mean forget he's even on this team anymore he, he's been out for a while um and i think uh i'm a little skeptical about their ability to score against really good defenses and we saw that in the second half here as well and it didn't help that they I mean, at some point they have to go to a lineup like this but they had a lineup with cephalosha rubio and gobert all out there with burks and i can't remember who the last guy was maybe it was joe ingles but that was a lineup that really struggled to score down the end of the third quarter um and then with without mitchell again at the start of the fourth they only had two points i think in the first six minutes of the fourth quarter as the thunder were able to get back in contact um a couple other things here too okc this is an action if you want to see it on film uh ben falk wrote about this in one of his recent pieces that they ran a play down the end of the fourth they actually had some pretty good effectiveness with it's called a hawk basically where named after the cut they'll start off with all three of their stars on the strong side with Russell Westbrook having the ball, uh, Robertson and Steven Adams on the weak side, Paul George will get a back screen from Melo, similar to like, you know, a UCLA kind of back screen, you know, if you're familiar with that. And then immediately after receiving that back screen, presumably Melo's man has to go help on George a little bit uh, on the back screen. And then Melo will go immediately into a pick and roll with Russell Westbrook. And so the idea being that Melo's man is has off of there and then he's not able to step up and play good pick and roll defense against Russ and then George will come off a double pin down on the opposite side with uh Steven Adams and Robertson setting the screen for him and they never really got into the action with George swinging into the weak side but they were able to go to Mello in the post that was how they got that spin move that you talked about where he beat Joe Ingles for the N1 um you had another nice iso jumper as well Russ was able to get in the lane a couple of times too with a pick and roll afterwards uh 
when the action broke down initially so it was good to see the thunder just coming up with some set that actually involves all three of those guys which they had really struggled to find i thought westbrook did a nice job of not you know going crazy at the end and getting mellow and getting george involved late one other thing i wanted to mention just in the broad scope of this is that i know there's been some hand wringing about okc's record they're still even after this win and they've actually won their last three close games the clutch games as you as defined they're 11 and 12 right now one of the big benefits for them is that no fourth team at least has has put any has really put any distance between them so even if they play well the rest of the way i mean catching the spurs might be a little bit tough considering they're already way ahead but OKC is not going to be too much worse for wear for these early clutch struggles. Yeah, and uh, Minnesota lost a tough one at Memphis, ending, I think, Memphis's 11-game losing streak last night. Uh, Minnesota doesn't look like they're playing well enough to really like go run and hide right now. Um, a couple other notes on this one. Snyder closed with his, uh, I want to say his starters, but of course, favorite starters. So he closed with... Gobert at the five. Yeah, it was Gobert, Tabo at the four, Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, and Alec Burks. Rubio was not out there. Right, right. And, and, yeah, I was trying to remember whether the four was uh, Cephalosha or Jarebko. Both those guys have played well. And it's nice to see Cephalosha playing the four. That's something we thought that Mike Budnozer should have gone to more with Cephalosha at the four with the Hawks but in any event I, I thought that was probably the best available lineup that they had especially with Cephalosha out there defensively and once these guys are healthy once they have Hood back once Joe Johnson is back what do you think is the best closing lineup that would be available to Snyder? I mean, it's going to depend a little bit on if the other team has a dominant offensive wing, but I would say by and large, it's probably going to be Mitchell. I still trust Rodney Rodney Hood just having another creator out there. Hood, then probably Ingles, and then Johnson, Tabo, whoever's playing the best of those guys, and Rudy. I mean, and, and Favors can certainly be in the mix. I thought he did a nice job tonight, but you have to be very judicious about how you use that at the end of games. Yeah, with the way that Rudy was playing, I might have actually gone with Favors, especially because they need a little bit more scoring. Yeah, that would have been fine yeah and rudy i mean really part of how you know that he was not himself he only had two shot attempts in 27 minutes and there's one play too where donovan mitchell had him wide open on a roll and rudy had just kind of started leaning against someone for the offensive rebound and then just kind of didn't have the ability to react to the ball as the pass was in the air to him uh and he's wearing this big bulky brace he's gonna have to get used to that it's gonna take some time for him to get back and we know he's, he's a great player he's gonna get there eventually um i think that's uh all i had on this one you want to do uh actually we'll do a read first and then we'll get to some news items i actually really need to shave right now in fact my fiance we always have a joke that i'll start scratching under my neck when i kill itchy but fortunately i have some of danny's favorite razors and shave gel to take care of it right after i'm done recording i was assuming you were going to save for the twitter nba show but sure whatever works <laughs> but yeah that shave gel is fantastic yeah what do you like about it so much i mean so really what you're looking for in a shave gel is something that is comfortable and and that gives you you know that it combines with the razor to give you a, a clean shave and ideally that that hurts minimally or doesn't hurt at all I, I i fortunately i don't grow facial hair particularly well so it's not something i have to worry about as much and it does all of those things and since it's a foaming shave gel a small amount goes a long way so if you have a, like a, a canister of it you can use it for a while which i really like yeah i like harry's i usually shave like twice a week really and i can get away with that because harry's stuff is so good they cut right through this double even on the neck it glides right over don't get any ingrown hairs it, it's nice and right now if you want to get someone started with harry's you can use their limited edition sets they're offering custom shaving sets that make perfect gifts 
They come with that German engineered five blade cartridge. They actually have a factory in Germany, that foaming shave gel that Danny so enjoys and special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles. You can even personalize it with an engraving. So no matter what you're looking for, Harry's has you covered. These gift sets start at just $10. They make great stocking stuffers and you can even get something for yourself, of course, as well with Harry's. If you go to that special vanity URL is what it's called in the industry, harrys.com slash cap space easy to remember that slash cap space url because we talk about it all the time in the program you get five dollars off your order which is only available for the holidays so this holiday give harry's and give handsome get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last go to harry's.com slash cap space right now harry's.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us okay why don't we start uh with the latest on one Stephen curry whom you uh recorded a podcast on his injury so the official reporting is that he does have a sprained ankle but there is no structural damage so he will be reevaluated. and something we talk about a lot which is important is that reevaluated does not mean estimated return in two weeks so, that, so one fortunate piece for the warriors is that they actually depending on how rigidly you're defining two weeks they either only have four games or five because they have two games this week and then two next week and then the monday the kobe retirement to jersey retirement game in la so they'll be without him presumably for at least those five i would guess at least a couple more but the general tone there is it could have been worse and we'll see what the warriors look like without him but you know the rockets have been really strong this year and it it could affect their seating at least a little bit yeah i think it'll be interesting to see now what the warriors look like because remember last year after losing a couple when kevin durant went out they went on a huge tear they won it in san antonio in a big comeback they basically i think they won 13 straight games before just not trying it in a home game against utah the second to last game of the season and it's kind of too bad in retrospect that they didn't try in that game because they could have won like you know 27 straight games or something like that including the playoffs when it was all said and done actually no it would have been 30 straight games uh, including the playoffs which would have been absolutely incredible but nonetheless they played extremely well and they kind of just got back to the same way that they had played in previous years uh, with Steph Curry and so it'll be interesting to see now Durant I think is kind of having a little bit of a down season he's had these weird ejections lately he's been ejected three times uh, this year so far uh, and don't know exactly what's going on with him he's been turning the ball over like crazy pretty low scoring average as well took a lot of bad shots as we talked about it in that new orleans game had seven turnovers so if he's going to be more of a focus now you know what are we going to see from him what are we going to see from this warriors team my hypothesis although they certainly have a different mindset this year than they did last year is that they will not be as effective with him as the lead dog as they were with curry with him out but we'll see what ends up happening it's also worth noting that the warriors do not have even a like a a a facsimile replacement of curry everybody that they have at the guard positions is very very different so they can't replace him in that sort of a way and we'll probably see more of Quinn Cook who is their two-way guy because that's why you have those 45 days and so even if he's more playing like a tertiary role but just just to have him up there I wouldn't be surprised with that and how Kerr approaches this I think the the big element for me other than seeing how Durant goes and Clay Thompson who was fabulous when Curry missed extended time in the playoffs two years ago is how Kerr and the coaching staff manage playing time and rest for this because they've been extremely traditional 
anxious this whole season about making sure that guys get plenty of rest, making sure that they get days off and they don't play too many minutes. Will that change with Curry out? And will they kind of push these guys a little harder? Or will they say, we are who we are. That's all right. You know, that's what we're doing at this part of the regular season. And just let those, you know, have a David West sitting game, have an Iguodala sitting game in during these two plus weeks. Well, and it's also interesting that Houston is looking like an absolute juggernaut right now. And they've got to actually win to keep pace with Houston. And maybe Houston will get some more injuries, but Harden really never gets hurt. And as long as he's been around, they've been playing at a great level. So I think there's actually some pressure to keep pace with them for home court advantage. That's something that Kerr has focused on with this team. They've been the number one seed by a mile all three years that he has been in command here. So yeah, I think the idea of how hard they're going to push will be an interesting one. We mentioned on the 15 and 60 that Tim Hardaway was a late scratch on Sunday with a what later was reported as a stress reaction in his leg. He, he did not travel with the team on Monday and it's now reported that he will be out at least two weeks and that's not a surprise that was my guess actually when we first heard it was a stress reaction because you just don't see guys come back sooner than that with these stress reactions and you know that it's something that can linger a lot longer too I mean, we've seen Seth Curry has missed the entire season with that now Bradley Beal has had times where he's missed a lot more than that he also had a time where he came back after like two weeks when he had it a couple of years ago as well uh but the good news is at least is that it appears that Chris Stapps Porzingis will return he is probable uh, on wednesday uh what else we got here in the first game of the night or only three on the slate and if you want me to talk about bradley beale's game i could talk about it a little bit i watched most of that um devin booker had at the late in the game had a he had to be taken off the court with what looks like a non-contact injury and it sounds like it's going to be our new friend the adductor and it would be and we don't know exactly the severity of it that's one of those things you wait a day or two to, to get the detailed results on but you know the suns need him in order to be to to be competitive in games and so they will certainly miss him yeah the adductor meaning the groin uh and uh as someone who took latin in high school and didn't remember much but one thing i do remember is that ad sort of means to you and so the groin pulls your leg closer to you your abductors on the outside that's what uh you use to extend your leg away from your body horizontally so yeah it did not look good he actually had to be carried off uh, as late in, in what was a 4 15 shooting performance he had been on fire before that he had uh, 46 last night as they actually won it in philly and i think he had uh had 38 in uh boston garden the game before that so they're, they're on this road trip right now probably good for them they need to get on tanking they've actually won too many games uh in the jay Tirano era though certainly he wouldn't put it that way um yeah let's talk about that bill game actually i, I didn't see it at all because i was actually making uh, a fantastic blue apron pizza while that game was on uh because we hadn't talked about doing that game so it took a little break oh, blue apron pizzas are so good oh yeah it was they're not even but yeah but not as good as bradley bill was in this game and that is no faint that is no knock on blue apron pizza so what struck me about bill's game here was that he scored 51 scored 51 on 37 field goal attempts 39 shooting possessions which is a tremendously efficient game especially for that volume of points was that he did a lot off the dribble and with John Wall not still not playing that's not a surprise that he had to have the ball in his hands a lot and it was you know a couple dribbles and a pull-up getting all the way to the 10 and he was making he was making shots all over the floor and it was a lot from two he had 16 made two pointers and five made threes including one late that got him all the way up to 49 and it was also hilarious because the way that he so in the last couple minutes like you 
you know, basically that was the drama at the late part of this game as they beat Portland 106-92. The late drama was really how many points Bradley Beal would end up with. And he actually, there were a lot of possessions late in the game where he didn't touch the ball at all. And he was still in the game. And so you're sitting there going like, what's, what's going, you know, not like, like they're freezing him out or anything. It was just the circumstances. And so on the second to last play, Kelly Oubre, I think he got a lead pass, but he might've gotten the steal himself. And he's basically going in to score himself and Beal's running behind him. And so he easily could have passed it to Beal to get to 50. And he just didn't. He's just like, nope, I'm good. But then hey, Kelly so Oubre, like he, he doesn't play the game for stats, Denny. He plays the game the right way. He plays the game to get buckets. That's what he plays the game for. And so, so you're saying, going, oh, Beal's going to end up at 49. And obviously the difference between 49 and 51 is not that big a deal, but it was a career high for him. So you like to see him get 50. Then on the next trip down, after I just criticized Oubre, for not criticize him for not passing it was just it, it fit his fit his brand he stole the ball on a play that nobody else would really care about he stole the ball and then threw a lead ahead, lead pass to Beal who had never really gotten across half court and so he got the 51 anyway but it was a fabulous game by Beal it was a, a reminder that he can create off the dribble and he he did a nice job and also I mean a big big struggle game for CJ McCollum he was just well, in the early part of the game he was pretty much a non-factor I think he was two for his first 10 ended up with with 14 points but the vaunted Portland defense defense did have some struggles there and it was also notable because none of the other wizard starters had a good game offensively and, and mostly they weren't great defensively either but Beal needed to carry the load and he absolutely did yeah and for Portland again I didn't see the game but another pretty desultory offensive performance at home against an eastern conference opponent that you know are not like an amazing defensive juggernaut they lost to the Bucks in similar fashion at home last week um all right let's see what else we have here did we talk about AD already we did not yeah he is still doubtful for wednesday with his own uh, adductor injury doesn't seem like it's quite as bad as as booker's is so but i think it'll be if he's doubtful you know you have to imagine it's at least going to be you know a few more days uh and then now i need to be at least we haven't discussed his injury yet uh but he has missed seven straight games now with foot soreness that's a concern because as you recall whether whichever foot it is i don't actually have that in front of me but you recall he had that navicular fracture uh and whether it's that same foot or the other foot because he's putting overcompensating uh, not, that's not good i think the wolves have missed him not having a stretch four option uh, for thibodeau is a little bit difficult you know he's got to basically go with jang he's got to go with taj gibson um markel fultz is a couple days old but brett brown said back on december first that uh he's not there yet uh, but everything is moving forward which is basically more mealy mouthed hey we don't know what's going on yet and, and still like you know it's what has it been now basically since the like you know late october so we're talking about like six weeks now uh that he's been on the shelf and it just i mean you just wonder what his day-to-day is like at, at this point you know bron said oh he's working so hard blah blah you know that could be a platitude you never know uh, but you still uh, it's really just a, an incredible mystery here at this point but but, you know it's obvious that when he's shooting his practice shots he's probably not shooting them right yet and so they still uh they still are working on that whatever the issue in fact is speaking of incredible mysteries wayne selden tried to come back and then and then ended up he's still out with quad tendinopathy and it sounds like he's going to be out at least another two weeks yeah that the same injury that is so bedeviled kyle leonard or Kawhi leonard and he did try to come back he couldn't you know that's a very uh memphian thing there to try to have him come back and then he's not ready and he has to go back on the the shelf again they haven't changed around a, a lot of stuff in their sports science department but uh you know it looks like the, that one 
may not have been managed perfectly and then a couple of weird ankle injuries that john luer now could miss as much as an additional six weeks he had a joint lubrication injection he's been out almost a month with an ankle sprain so that obviously did not appear to be getting better and you know hopefully it won't mean that he's gonna have to have surgery and then mike muscala still out no indication that he's getting close he basically has missed nearly the entire year with his own ankle injury as well we didn't really have an indication that that was just so severe either uh anything else we gotta talk about here two more willie collie stein is going to be out for the next two games with a back injury which also makes it even more confounding that the kings sent scalabissier to the reno bighorns i don't know if they're going to just no, recall but, him quickly but they're they called up papa g instead maybe papa g is going to get some minutes here oh sweet christ papa g was uh if, if, fifth in the d league in, or in the g league in rebounding uh so far. can we have an agreement that if we are if we are doing the twitter nba show when the king's game is on and and the, and papa g comes in we'll just switch the twitter nba show for a couple minutes to that just for our own enjoyment uh yeah you know but i always thought that the show was about the viewers enjoyment oh i think the viewers would enjoy us watching papayanas i, I mean i'll, I, I I'll really tell you this do. danny i promise you that if there's a game where he's like gonna start we can just do like a special show like just for that how about that is, is that a fair compromise that's a fair compromise <laughs> and, and then, the, then the other one is uh chandler parsons he didn't play on monday but the expectation is that after he's been dealing with knee and ankle soreness that he will return in wednesday's game against the knicks which is when hopefully porzingis comes back as well yeah i'm just envisioning now that twitter mb show with you like with like this five second timer like stopwatch that like every time he gets the ball in the post you're just gonna like hit start and just like hoping that he's gonna get a five second back down and just like screaming at the tv for the referees to call it i feel like that's more your thing than mine but either way it'll be delightful i mean he he has been our favorite guy in summer league the last two years and he is a better player than he was that first summer league but but he is just just so much fun in that yeah, way uh, favorite is a loser i actually thought that he shows showed a few signs of, yeah, of progress he did but he uh, did i thought he especially that i think it was a game against the suns where i thought he looked pretty good all right we're gonna bring on uh, rich cho here momentarily and momentarily means right now special guest first general manager we've ever had uh, on the program a guy who has uh, many of the same sensibilities as i do uh, judging by his food blog which uh, is bigtimebites.com the general manager of the charlotte hornets rich cho how are you uh, doing well nate how you doing uh, i'm doing great and uh, i guess the place i wanted to start with you we usually like to kind of get right into things here uh, on the program is let's talk a little bit about your food blog you know you've uh, uh, like what inspired you even uh, to start this you know it's not necessarily uh a public blog like that it's not something that necessarily uh, a lot of nba executives would uh think about starting yeah well it's you know food is something uh i've always loved and i uh, had an affinity for and uh years ago when i started traveling a lot with my job uh i'd ask friends and co-workers for food recommendations in different cities um and i'd write them down uh but nothing was really formalized or or organized that well i just write them down here and there and then and then look through my notebook uh at my notes um and i you know i eventually create a notebook 
with information in it um, with those recommendations. And then when I'm in a certain city, I'd ask local people like the concierge or, or just um, do a conversation with a local stranger um, just for recommendations. And, and uh, after a while, I'd build up a pretty good blog and people would ask me for recommendations. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, I like uh, a lot of different types of food. And so uh, what people wind up asking me a lot. So um, either for themselves or for their friends and family. So one day I thought about, you know, just compiling all the info and uh, creating a blog. And I started an Instagram first, which is uh, at Big Time Bites and the Twitter's at Big Time Bites and, and um, got a lot of positive feedback. So I, I decided to put it all in a, a food blog website, which is BigTimeBites.com. And, and um, so that's kind of how it got started. Uh, when I started it, I did it with the intention of making it different than any other site. And I think if you go to the site, um, it is quite a bit different than any other site. One, it's got a sports theme to it. So like all my reviews are called scouting reports. And uh, <laughs> we have a uh, rating system. There's a, a rating system for each dish. Um, and it's dish-based instead of restaurant-based, like like you'll find on, yeah, on other I like sites. That. I like that. Yeah, and that's because like if I'm in a certain city and I feel like, hey, you know what? I want a burger tonight or I want, uh, uh, you know, some um, a lobster roll or a salad, then I can kind of look for a, a good dish because instead of going to a restaurant and then trying to trying to find a good dish out of the whole menu. So um, there's a rating system for each dish and there's a rubric for each uh, for each of the rating system for each of the ratings. So the ratings go rotation, starter, all-star, franchise, and hall of fame. And um, similar to Instagram where you can like uh, an Instagram picture. Uh, if you like a report on, on our site, you can fist bump it. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, besides the dishes instead of restaurants, um, one of the other things that distinguishes it from, from other sites is because it's got to be a certain level dish to be on the site, which is a rotation dish, which is, yeah. even though it's a lowest rating, it's still a very good dish. Um, there's yeah. only Rotation players are tough to find these days. That's right. You're right. Exactly. Especially if you have a limited cap space, like I think some of my listeners do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, because it's got to be at least a rotation dish, that it, all we have is positive reviews instead of uh, negative reviews. So you don't, as a visitor to the site, you don't have to sift through all the negativity that you might find on other sites. Yeah. So your uh, family is originally from Burma, and I just discovered Burmese food at, at a restaurant that you know a lot more about than I do, but that I love in the Bay Area, Burma Superstar. But for people who've never had Burmese food, you know, pretty much everyone that I take to that restaurant, they're like, oh, what's Burmese food? Like, how would can you describe it to people who've never had it? Yeah, uh, I say I think the best way to describe it is a cross between Thai, Chinese, and Indian food. That's how I describe it too. Actually, that's all right. I guess I'm on the right track. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, and it's really a combination of all three of those. Um, it's got uh, uh, some unique spices to it. Uh, there's there's a lot of noodles. There's some rice dishes. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's also a lot of different meat dishes. Um, definitely got a different spice. 
And I, I wouldn't say it's it's Thai Chinese or Indian or, or um, primarily one of those. It, it's more of a cross between all of them. Yeah, for me, like I just love the coconut rice. That's probably one of my favorite things. The, the tea leaf salad with the fermented tea leaves that are imported from Burma, if they're doing it right. Um, you know, the, those are the two things that I've felt like are really the signatures. Then a great uh, coconut chicken noodle soup as well, which I cannot pronounce the name for uh but that's uh that's how i say it those are, are some of my favorites anything else you would recommend if people are going to a burmese restaurant that they should really yeah yeah burma superstar is a great restaurant in in the bay area like you said he's got three locations um but uh those are those are great dishes the tea leaf salad uh which is highly acclaimed on the food network and, and uh, other places but the the coconut chicken noodle soup uh in burmese it's called ono kaswe and uh, that's a burmese staple dish um, they also have a great uh, pumpkin shrimp and uh, chili lamb. But, but probably my favorite dish there is the um, Burmese uh, pork curry. The pork is uh, really tender. Uh, it's got great flavor. And um, uh, everyone that I, I send there for that dish uh, loves it as well. But, but another Burmese staple dish besides that uh, coconut chicken soup is uh, a fish chowder called uh, Mohinga in Burmese. Yeah, I haven't had yeah. that one yet, actually. Now that you mention it, I, I will try that next time. I, I always stick with the staples. I love the chili lamb as well, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely try that uh, that fish chowder next time. Yeah, great, great. Uh, all right, well, so let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about basketball here. Not not everyone is uh, a, a huge uh, foodie like you, or a uh, kind of foodie <laughs> like me. I, I'm more of a foodie for uh, you know the more plebeian foods. I did a, a podcast <laughs> ranking my favorite fast food items uh, with uh, Kevin Pelton a little bit ago, but um, I want to start by talking just a little bit about uh, you guys off season in Charlotte, and you know. <laughs> You made the move for Miles Plumley at the trade deadline last year, and then you you moved him for Dwight Howard. But first off, Plumley was a guy who you, know, you acquired him, and then you moved on from. Him. Can you talk a little bit about how that process was and why you you picked that guy up, and then you felt like, all right, you know, we're going to exchange him for Dwight Howard? Yeah, when we were looking at upgrading the team uh, close to the trade deadline, uh, we felt like we we uh, needed a little more physicality at the five spot and. And uh, so we traded for Miles, and uh, he, you know he he really never got in the groove here. He was hurt uh, for quite a while, and then um, when we uh, ended the season, uh, we were evaluating our team, and uh, in the front court, uh, some of the things we wanted to add were rim protection, shot blocking, and physicality, and uh, and we also wanted to improve our overall depth. So um, Dwight's a guy that we had been looking at for you know a couple years, uh, both from a trade standpoint and free agent standpoint and and the opportunity presented itself to uh to acquire him and uh uh so you know we jumped at it yeah so you guys had done a lot of research obviously on dwight going back to maybe when you're thinking about him potentially in free agency but the fact is he kind of has had this negative reputation people out of atlanta said like hey you know we couldn't wait to move on from him but you guys obviously were comfortable with acquiring him so two-part question number one you know what made you feel confident that it would work out with him when you did acquire him and then then number two you know how has he been in your building yeah um well we felt very comfortable acquiring him uh and a large part of it was uh our head coach steve clifford had a long history with him uh coaching him uh both in orlando as an assistant coach and uh with the lakers and uh, so he he uh knows dwight well and knows his personality and and uh his strengths and weaknesses and and one thing that that coach Clifford does 
along with our other coaches is uh, get the most out of each and every player. And, and um, uh, you know, as an example, when, when Jeremy Lin came here, uh, he had not played that great in his last uh, couple spots. And, and uh, Jeremy came here, our, our coaches put him in a great position to uh, play to his strengths. And Yeah, and, those, uh, uh, I always say like teams should like just whoever is was a good role player and then went to the Lakers just and, and didn't play well, just pick him up <laughs> and he's going to play well for you. There's so many guys like that that you guys identified him so well your only problem was he played so well you couldn't afford to keep him yeah to jeremy's credit he he played great for us and, and parlayed that into a, a big contract and a, a starting role in in uh brooklyn so uh it's a credit to him but uh we felt comfortable with with dwight and and uh especially bringing him here with our our uh, staff and and uh, he's done a good job for us you know he's, he's averaged a double double every year he's been in the league and, and uh uh, you know he's averaging 15 and 12 uh for us right now and he's he's been a good presence on the defensive end as well so yeah and then also you you've uh just in terms of how he's meshed with his teammates you feel like that's been better for him that, than in past stops so far yeah i think he's he's meshed well with with his teammates uh and um you know guys like playing with him and and um no he's he's been a good fit here both on and off the court and, and we're excited to have him yeah this season it's been a, a as it was last year because you guys really had a much better point differential than your record last year this year nine and 13 but i think you're actually if uh, after last night i haven't checked it since then but i think you're in the green as far as your point differential when you go look at evaluating where your team is at and you know how you're playing maybe what you might need you know how much does the fact that you're under 500 play in and how much of it is that hey you know our fundamentals are are a little bit better than that play into where you feel like this team is at right now yeah i mean i think it's a little bit of both and, and then also uh, another factor that you have to um, take into account is is um, we've had a lot of injuries. Uh, Nick Batum was out with an elbow injury. Uh, Kemba was just out for a, a few games, shoulder. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams, our backup point guard, uh, was out for quite a while. Um, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was out a bit too. So uh, we're just now getting our, our guys in, in uh, full strength and uh, so, you you know going forward we can kind of see where we're at but uh i think that that's a big factor too um but uh you know we, we've lost some close games too that could go either way and so ho- you know hopefully um we can go uh moving forward we can uh pull those out when you look at that that you, you lost close games that happened last year obviously you also had the the struggles with uh with when cody zeller was out of the lineup i think the the stats three and 17 that get, gets thrown around a, a lot um but right. you you've also played very well at times I mean, when you look at it as hey you know this is what we need to improve on this team do you say hey you know what like we're just having bad luck in close games or do you drill down more into your performance in close games and say hey you know what like this is something that the team might need that could enable us to play better in close well i i think uh it's kind of a little bit of everything you know i i think part of its execution uh on the players part part of it is um uh you know the percentages have to go our way eventually on the close ones uh and um you know i think uh we've got a good bunch of of um a good mix of vets and uh, uh young players that uh I, I think we're in a good position moving forward we got two guys in their early 30s in marvin and dwight we got you know four guys in our rotation that are, are 25 or younger and cody frank mkg and jeremy lamb uh kemba and nick are, are 27 and 28 and our two rookies are 22 and 
22 and 19. So, uh, you know, part of it's a learning process to uh, pull some of these close games out. And, and um, so, but, but I, you know, I, I think uh, we're, we're well positioned for the future. Yeah, so you guys have had uh, some draft picks. I mean, I, I looked it up. I can't believe that you've actually been there since 2011. It's uh, t- time really flies um, there. So, you know, Kid Gilchrist, you, you drafted Frank Kaminsky, Malik Monk. I kind of think of those as your main young guys. Let's start with Kaminsky. You know, how have you uh, assessed his development since he's been drafted? What are you pleased with and what do you think he still needs to improve on? Yeah, we've been pleased with... Uh... Frank's development, I, I think, um, you know, he, he's had some some very big games. Uh, uh, I think the biggest thing he's got to work on is consistency. Um, you know, he'll have a big game, and then, and then uh, uh, you know, then this next game won't be as big. Uh, but he's got to work on some re- his rebounding uh, and just overall consistency. Uh, but we're excited to have him. He, he's a seven-footer that can do a lot of different things on the floor. And, you know, he's only 24 years old. So uh, I, I think he, you know, he, there's a lot of upside still for him as well. Well, so he, when he was drafted, the thought was, you know, he had shot the ball extremely well from the college three-point line. And, and, you know, it seemed like he could be a stretch four, maybe a, a stretch five. You guys have played him mostly at the four so far. But he's only shot 33% from downtown in his career. Do you feel like that's something that you expect him to improve on? You know, when you see him in practice, does he seem like the type of guy who could move closer to being that type of 40 percent like really game-breaking three-point shooter yeah i i think he can definitely hit hit 40 percent uh from beyond the arc uh he does it in practice uh, at, at a high rate it's just you know it's just a matter of doing it in games and, and being more consistent but he's definitely got the talent to do that yeah i mean can you think of maybe why it is that he hasn't been able to translate you know that practice performance to his shooting in games quite yet you know i i, I can't put a finger on it if i yeah. if i mean i, I can't either that's why I'm asking you. I've, yeah, I figured it. Yeah. No one seems to know. That's like that's the big white whale in basketball is like being able to figure out you know who can shoot it and, and why you know why some players progress and some don't. You know it's really difficult to figure out for me at least. Yeah, I mean uh, we're confident that Frank will in- increase that uh, you know a fair amount. He, he works his tail off and uh, uh, you know he wants to be very good and, and so um, I, I think uh, the future is bright for him. Yeah, so Malik Monk, you drafted him at number 11 this year an explosive score he had that 47 point game when he's in college i think he might have even had like 20 points and a half pretty close to that in that knicks game earlier this year but he's also fallen out of the rotation recently as you've gotten some guys back as nick batum has returned but what's your assessment of his play so far and what does he need to work on to maybe get back into the rotation yeah you know he's been up and down uh he's he's had some uh some big games as well um uh uh, you know, against New York, he had 21. Against Milwaukee, he had 25. Uh, but, you know, for him, similar to, to Frank, it's consistency. And uh, for him, especially being a rookie and 19 years old, he's got to just get used to the physicality and the grind of the NBA. And uh, I, I think for him to, uh, you know, see some more playing time, number, well, right now it's a numbers thing for him. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're excited to have him. He's been working hard. 
in practice. Uh, when he's not playing on the bench, he's supporting his teammates. So uh, we think the future is really bright for Malik. How much of a setback was that ankle injury over the offseason for him? I know he even there were some reports that he was struggling with that even as camp started. Yeah, I, I think anytime a, a guy, a young guy, misses uh, summer league, it, it you know it, it pushes him back a little bit. Um, but we knew that going in, so uh, it wasn't you know too much of a surprise. So, uh, but you know the good thing is it wasn't something that that is a long term thing. And and like I said, we're we're really happy to have him. I think the future is really bright for him. He's he's uh, a unique talent in in the way that uh, he can score the ball and, and um, uh, how explosive he is. So um, you know I, I think future is definitely bright for Malik. All right, we're gonna take a, a quick break here for a read, but we'll be right back when I ask uh, Rich about some of the other young players what it's like working with uh, michael jordan as an owner and also a little bit a little bit about uh his path to getting where he is right after this the holidays are always a great time to look back on our year think about our family members but it's always a little bit of a melancholy time for me because i'm out here in california a lot of my family is back in chicago still just sending a greeting card that doesn't always feel like enough. So instead, you can send a bouquet of flowers to express your holiday wishes in the way that a greeting card or a gift card just can't. A bouquet from Pro Flowers is not just the same old traditional gift. It says so much more. It really provides something heartfelt. Pro Flowers best-selling candy cane roses are a great option for a holiday gift a December birthday, or an anniversary. Or you could always go with their classic mini Christmas tree that comes with lights and ornaments. No matter what you choose, my listeners will get 20% off any Pro Flowers bouquet or plant of $29 or more. I have received and sent Pro Flowers bouquets on several occasions. They have a guarantee that they'll stay fresh for a week. They guarantee that they'll be delivered on your selected delivery date. And they've always come through for me. There's even instructions on how to keep them fresh if, like me, you don't exactly have a green thumb. So the way to send a gift with Pro Flowers this holiday season and get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more, go to proflowers.com. Make sure you use my code CAPSPACE. It's easy to remember because we talk about CAPSPACE all the time on the program. That's proflowers.com. Enter code CAPSPACE and let them know that you came from us. Okay, so we're back here with Rich Show. Last thing I want to ask you about is Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Still amazingly just 24 in his sixth season. Uh, drafted back in 2012 with the number two overall pick. And where do you think you know his development so far? Obviously, you, you drafted him, him quite a while ago. Now he's had some issues with, with the shoulder back in 2015-16. Uh, um, but where is his development right now? I mean, I, I know he hasn't shot the, the three at all, basically. <laughs> kind of given up on that he's been decent on long twos I mean do you think it's just is it time to accept that he's not going to be a three-point shooter or is there still some hope that that's going to come around for him at some point uh well I wouldn't say it's it's uh I'm not losing hope on on that necessarily you know like you said he's only 24 years old um but uh we're happy with Michael he's a high level defender uh you know this year he's shooting the mid-range shot uh, very well Uh, I think he's got a lot more confidence in his shot uh he's a very good rebounder for his position and uh, he just brings energy and a great spirit to the game and uh you know we're really happy to have him so uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about too, you know, there are a lot of uh, Michael Jordan might be, I was actually just uh, listening on, on an audio book to Dream Team and Jack McCallum went through this whole stretch of uh, how there he had like 25 Googles of the Michael Jordan of blank. Obviously, Michael might still be the most famous person on the 
planet and so do you you've worked with him very closely now as an owner for these past six years or so dealing with him on you know a week-to-week basis or a day-to-day basis you know how would you describe him as an owner generally and are there any kind of misconceptions that people have about him that that you feel like you know have not actually been the case in dealing with him personally uh he's been great as an owner um you know number one i think he's really smart uh he's very savvy uh very competitive and uh you know i love working for him he's uh he i think he's he really cares about you as a person and um uh is very committed to winning here and uh he's been great as an owner um and i can't say enough about about uh how i like working for him so do you have any uh times you can think of when just that legendary mj competitiveness kind of came out uh well i mean i think he's competitive all the time so i don't think it just necessarily <laughs> goes in in you know it's not uh go doesn't go in spurts i think he's competitive all the time and um uh one, one other thing that i would say is he, he's a really funny guy he's got a great sense of humor and uh um uh he, you know he, he he's uh fun to be around you know so people are often uh ask for advice on how to get their foot in the door in the nba it's been a, a topic that people have been talking about a lot ben falk wrote a, a nice article about it recently but you were really when you started i think back with the Sonics was it 1995 when you started with them yeah 95 yep yeah so if you both from your own experience and then you know as as someone who's the decision maker or you know very influential in whether someone is going to get their foot in the door now with the hornets what can you point to as advice for people who really want to get into this business because you're someone who didn't have the basketball background you know a playing background so i think you can offer some unique insight on this yeah i would say you know one of the biggest things is just try to try to get your foot in the door by doing an internship and uh you know we get tons and tons of uh, resumes and cover letters and and even the internships where you're providing for the most part free labor uh those are hard to get but um uh i would say there's a few things that i'd recommend one is uh, spend a lot of time on your cover letter and resume uh, because uh, you, you know you're the person that's hiring you uh, that's the first thing they're going to look at and uh, uh, you want to spend a lot of time on that and make sure there's no there aren't any spelling or grammar errors and um, <laughs> yeah that's that's good <laughs> I advice I still get a lot of cover letters and resumes with with spelling or grammar errors and and I you know I wind up just throwing those away um, it's remarkable isn't it like even for my when I was doing interviewing for my internships to get that it was i, I was pretty surprised like uh, well you know if you didn't want this enough to even like spell check your resume you know you're probably not going to do the greatest work and you know i mean it, some people it doesn't come as naturally to but man like at least just put the time in on that you know have someone else look it over worst case yeah yeah no exactly and and um one thing i tell uh law students or mba students when i speak at at schools is um uh on your cover letter and resume um uh you know if you you want to be a GM, I think that's great, but I, I wouldn't necessarily put it in the uh, cover letter. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason is because, like, if I'm applying to Boeing or IBM, uh, I don't put in the cover letter that I, I want to be a, a CEO, or if I'm applying for a law firm job, I, I don't write in my cover letter that I want to be the managing partner of a law firm. So uh, what really, I think instead, what's going to resonate with, with me as well as a lot of people in this position is, is someone with a positive attitude who's willing 
to do anything and everything that to help out and contribute to the organization and, and who feels like no task is too small or too large. Um, when I sent in a cover letter and resume to, to Wally Walker back in 1995 when I was in, in law school, um, one thing I included, which I think helped, was a, a couple letters of recommendation. And that let Wally know um, a little bit about my work ethic without me, me without just me telling him I'm a hard worker. It let him know about my work ethic as well as uh, some of the responsibilities I had in, in my prior job at Boeing. Um, so yeah, I think that's you're an engineer at Boeing, right? Before yeah, before I was an engineer for five years at Boeing, and um, and then I I, kind of, I quit and went to law school. Um, another thing I'd recommend, you know, if if you can have somebody call or email on your behalf, um, uh, that's always useful. Let, let's say you know if you know uh, a head coach somewhere uh, around the country, or if you know a, a prominent judge uh, around, and and they call or email you. Uh, email on your behalf. I think that stuff's helpful. Um, and then e- even more so when when you do get the internship, I think some of the things that that um, to keep in mind are um, because at the end of the day, you want you know when you get the internship, you want to be able to parlay that into a, a full time job. Um, and when you leave the organization, you want the rest of the group uh, saying, hey, if there's ever a job opening, we need to hire that person. And um, you know what you want to do is make yourself invaluable and be the first one in, the last to leave. And uh, because when a job does come open, you're competing against past interns, future interns, people from other teams looking to move uh, or people from the outside trying to get in. So uh, those are all things that, you know, to keep in mind and, and, and try to get your foot in the door. So who is the last person that you hired who is kind of like a, an entry level type of position? And what did they do that impressed you? Uh, well, a guy I just hired in September um, was uh, our intern uh, about a year and a half ago in the summer of 2016. He was an intern from SMU Law School and uh, he's actually uh, the son of a friend of, of uh, Rick's son who uh, I worked with for a long time in Seattle and, and a very close friend and, and mentor. And so uh, he, he he was our intern in summer 2016. He did a great job for us, uh, worked his tail off just put his head down and, and work and um, uh, so you know when a job opened up here uh, we looked to our past interns uh, first and foremost and and uh, offered him the job so how did he get the internship originally was that through through Rick or, or, or like you know a couple of degrees of separation from him yeah it was I had no, you know I was close with Rick and and uh, Rick said hey take a look at this guy and uh, so I actually interviewed John uh, when I was down in Dallas for a game because he was at SMU Law School and and uh, I interviewed uh, you know a bunch of law students that year um, and um, so he got the internship that way and, and made the most out of it. What kind of questions do you ask a, a guy who is just uh, or, or a woman who is just like trying to get an entry level position? If you're if you are lucky enough to get an interview like that, you know, what is important for you to know about them in the interview process? 
Uh, you know, I try to get a feel for them, uh, just uh, you know, as a person, and, and uh, I want to make sure it's the right fit. Uh, we like guys here that are, are competitive and, and at the same time hungry and humble, uh, and somebody that'll uh, put their head down and work, uh, but at the same time be uh, nice to be around and and um, uh, would fit well with the uh, culture we have here. Yeah, so it's really I, I think one thing that I've you know I've had a lot of conversations with people about this i've done sports business classroom the last couple of years with people who are interested in, in getting positions but it seems like in a lot of ways you know once you've kind of demonstrated somewhat of a degree of competence with your resume that it's more about personality and and fit than it is like oh hey you know i can i can tell you like who averaged 25 points a game in 2003 or something like that yeah it's definitely about uh personality and fit and and uh um that you know just as important as as anything else uh, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for uh, somebody from an Ivy League school or somebody that was uh, number one in, in their class. Uh, uh, for, for for me, it's, it's all about um, fit and uh, how they're going to fit in uh, with the rest of our group. We, you know, we like guys that are, are I've had men and women as interns and, and we like our interns to be, um, you know, good teammates, unselfish. A lot of things I look for in um, uh, players, actually, too, uh, people that have a strong work ethic uh unselfish good teammate and uh high character so i wanted to ask you too uh, about because this is actually it's something that i've done i've had two interviews uh, with nba teams i informally did a little bit of work for for a third none of those actually ended up working out but they're uh interesting experiences for me and actually one of them even though i didn't get it kind of made me think like all right i'm gonna actually leave the law and just concentrate on the podcast full time because i really you know i want to be like fully invested in my nba work but you know you got the job with portland you you got the job with charlotte start with portland like what do you remember about interviewing there with portland like what was that process like like what kinds of questions did they ask you you know on your way to being a gm i'm interested to know like you know what what criteria they were using uh well you know i wasn't really asked to prepare anything it was more um uh just a medley of questions uh, uh philosophy on building the team uh thoughts on personnel uh, you know the, the the team's personnel uh, thoughts on players and teams around the league um, how I would so, structure so when, when you came in were they like hey you know what like or I mean they didn't mean ask you this but were you like hey I'm going to be prepared with like I'm going to have like you know a folder on each player on the team or or am I going to have like a specific plan written out you know for what you know I would like to do obviously you can't adhere to that fully but like was that kind of what your thinking was going in yeah I, I, I was you know well prepared with with information on on um, uh, all those all those um, topics that I mentioned, uh, philosophy on building the team and and thoughts on uh, the team's personnel, uh, different thoughts on players and teams around the league, uh, what I might propose from a trade standpoint, um, uh, you know, our uh, scouting philosophy, uh, philosophy on analytics, um, organizational structure, all all those different things. Yeah, I mean, you were really back, you know, in the mid two thousand. I think you started working with analytics. When did you really, did that become something that was prevalent? I know I think even George Call back when you were first working with the science, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, he and, and Terry Stotts were doing some possession-based analysis, but at a time when that wasn't necessarily in vogue, you know, how did you begin to get involved in doing more, more analytics? And then how were you able to convince other people in the organization 
that this is worthwhile stuff. Yeah, well, when uh, when I first started in the NBA in, in summer of 95, um, I had interned or I had interviewed with Wally Walker and, um, uh, you know, he got my cover letter resume when I was in law school and he called me and um, he said, hey, I, I want to be the most technologically advanced GM in the league. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is like in the fall of 94, uh, my first year in law school. And he said, hey, you know, I'm going to be down in, in L.A. for a game uh, and I want you to show me how you can make that happen. So I met Wally at, at the Ritz-Carlton in Marina Del Rey for breakfast and I uh, came with some charts and ideas and, and luckily we hit it off and, and uh, he offered me the um, uh, internship after the interview. And yeah. uh, one what were, thing Do I, you remember? What were your ideas at the time that you, yeah, yeah, that you impressed him with? Yeah, one thing I had proposed to him was building a uh, player evaluation system where he could, uh, you know, at the tip of his fingers, uh, evaluate players and, and uh, look at look at different things from an analytic standpoint. And so that summer, just to kind of show you how, how far things have come, <laughs> uh, that summer I started working on this player evaluation system with uh, a few guys from Microsoft. And Microsoft, uh, luckily, was, was just um, 20, 30 minutes away from Seattle um, uh, where the Sonics training facility was. And one day I was over at Microsoft uh, in the cafeteria meeting with a couple of the guys. And uh, one of the guys, I'll never forget this. And one of the guys says, uh, and he was a, a programmer and uh, he had this ponytail like uh, uh, in flip-flops, <laughs> like, like Joe Programmer, you know, in, in uh, the Northwest. And he says to me, uh, hey, Rich, uh, there's something coming out pretty soon that's going to change the world. And I, you know, I'm, of course, I'm a little skeptical. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? And he says, well, it's called the World Wide Web. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he was right. And it, it comes out shortly thereafter. And, it, you know, obviously changed the world. And, and uh, but that's how far things have kind of come. Um, you know, when I first started in the league, there wasn't a lot of analytics out there um, with NBA teams. And, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, we started using analytics then and and uh, used it a lot in, in uh, OKC in Portland and then uh, now in in Charlotte I've got uh, four analytics guys full time on staff uh, one yeah, I think some people. of those guys kicked my ass in basketball at, at Sloan a couple of years ago I'm not sure how many of those guys are still around <laughs> but uh... Uh, and one guy travels full time with the team, and, and um, uh, so uh, a, you know, analytics in the NBA has, has come a long way. Yeah, I mean, when you so you're basically were kind of starting from scratch, I, I guess, uh, when you be, began looking at that. Um, you know, you didn't necessarily have a basketball playing background, so like, what were you able to come up with in those early days that actually you know were useful in terms of like you know actually making decisions, you know, especially at a time when we didn't have the stats or computing power or you know even internet it seems like yeah it was uh you know a player evaluation system based on on stats and in different criteria that that we felt uh were important uh based on position and um so uh you know it was it was uh something that um was useful for us and useful for wally and, and uh and then uh you know the, the tools we have now are are a lot more advanced 
even, and uh, um, I think it's a big part of a big part of uh, the NBA now. And and uh, um, you know, uh, every team's got their own analytics staff now, and 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 uh, it's a growing, definitely a growing business. All right. Well, I've kept you for way longer than I said, but uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Just to tell everyone again one more time about uh, the your food blog, Big Time Bites, and the, the Twitter and Instagram before I let you go here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The uh, the uh, website is bigtimebites.com and uh, the Twitter and Instagram are uh, at bigtimebites and and uh, any visitor to the site can put in their own scouting report by uh, creating an account. It's all free and it's very easy to use. Um, uh, and, and so uh, it's a great way for um, people to share their their uh, dishes and and uh, share their love for food. Yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna create an account and leave some reviews but i i gotta get better at my food photography though first <laughs> yeah the, the uh, photos uh, it takes me a long time to take some of these photos you know i take a lot of uh, uh great care in, in in uh taking these photos and i actually have this food light that uh i use along with my uh iphone camera so uh, uh you know it's it's a it's a uh, tricky part of the uh, uh making a good scouting report but it's all fun yeah my problem is uh, i've already taken three bites of it before i remember i'm supposed to take take the photo that's uh <laughs> that's how that's how far behind i am I, i'm just ready to start chowing down immediately all right well thanks again to, to rich show we really appreciated it having you on and uh we'll be back tomorrow with uh, another great dunked on episode talk to you all then caesar's sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with caesar's rewards that means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.